0: Podcast listeners, what up, what up? We are back on this episode. I'm hanging out with Lisa Levy. She is a Uh, best-selling author. I got the amazing introduction uh, from her from uh, Michael Houlihan, who's also been a guest on the show. And he just said, she is just a phenomenal, phenomenal individual. And I had a blast chatting with her. Uh, She's a consultant. She's a partner. She has been involved all across, you know, speaking all across the world and just an amazing, amazing leader. And so I had an absolute blast having her as a guest on the show. And I hope you enjoy listening to it as well. Lisa, thank you so much for being a guest. And I hope everybody enjoys it. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast.
1: Matt, I am so excited to be here this morning. Thank you so much.
0: Where, where in the world are you recording from?
1: Where in the world? Um, I am located in the Phoenix Valley in Arizona.
0: Is that where you're is that where you're originally from?
1: I am originally from Albuquerque, New Mexico. So I am I am of the Southwest. I I like the desert. I like the heat, and so I never ventured far and far from that original that original point.
0: There are four states in the country that I have not been to, Hawaii, Oregon, Washington, and New Mexico. And everybody who I uh, hear talk about it or is from New Mexico says it's absolutely beautiful and it's stunning.
1: It is. The geography is beautiful. The culture is rich and the food is incredibly spicy. Um, (laughs) It's a great place to be.
0: Is that is is the is the food like the spicy mix side of things? Is that like a, is that a Mexico influence or is it its own separate food demographic? I, I quite frankly, it's the first time I've heard that I get about the you know, the Southwest uh, food style. But is that for New Mexico specifically, is that like a Mexican influence or what's the what's the idea behind that?
1: So New Mexican food is um, an in, is influenced from Mexico and from Native American peoples, um, the spicy is uniquely New Mexico and it has to do with the chilies and how they grow and just how hot they get from the the soil content. So it is what makes um, New Mexican food its own thing. Although you might order, you know, enchiladas, um, they taste very different in New Mexico than they would anywhere else.
0: Well, sounds like it's worth just just going for the food. Are you are you a spicy eater fan?
1: Um yeah, the hotter the better. I
0: <laughs> love it. Absolutely. <that. laughs> So Lisa, tell me, tell me your story. Obviously, I, I, I know very little about you. We got the intro from Michael, which super grateful for and just super excited to hear more about your background. And just, just give me the story. I'd love to hear it.
1: So the story started out, you know, a college experience where I really thought that I wanted to be a, a film director. I wanted to do something that would, you know, change the world and, and tell stories and share stories and make an impact on people's lives. And I went to college and started in, in video rather than film, because that's just an easier entry point. When I graduated, I realized that you know with the degree that I had, I could go work for any local news station around the country and earn less income than I would working at McDonald's and didn't have that same creative drive to go and pursue film and try and change the world. So I had to kind of take a look at, oh, my gosh, what do I know how to do and realized that I learned in, in my coursework how to organize work, how to start with something, figure out and plan what needed to be done, and take it through to fruition, which in the, in the mid, mid-90s translated really nicely into a career in um, information technology in project management. Uh, same basic skill process, whole different application, And had the ability to put a roof over my head and food in my tummy. And so I took a left turn and went down a path that I had never in a million years expected. And started working for professional services companies and trying to help businesses do more with technology. And learned that more projects fail than not and was curious about that and started to try and kind of understand why. And in that exploration, I learned things. I learned that technology is an amazing tool to enable business process, but you have to have a business process in order to enable it and get efficiency. I went, OK, well, that's kind of interesting. And why don't processes work well? And then it's like you roll it back and you look at people and are the people doing the jobs that they were supposed to be doing? Are their jobs understood? Do they have the skills? Do they have the capabilities? And over a number of years, I kind of realized that there's an equation and it's people plus process plus technology equals awesome sauce. And people don't, in businesses, we don't always think about it that way. And so I decided to leave the corporate kind of world and and try and help businesses do things differently.
0: So first question I want to I want to I want to go back to your original your original uh, film producing ideas. Was there a movie that inspired you? Uh, whether it was inspired you, oh my goodness, that was such a good movie, and I want to go, you know, be a part of the production of that, or oh, that was so terrible, I think I could do it better. I mean, was there a, a film, a show, something that sort of influenced that that original dream for you?
1: So there, there's two parts to that answer. The first part is I was a drama geek and spent my high school years um on the stage, and I was a terrible actor, but started directing. And loved the idea of visualizing something becoming real and then helping people, actually capable actors, go through and express what was going on and tell the story and show it and pull the audience in and share that experience. The movie that kind of translated, so cool doing it on stage, the big screen just had so many more people. It was Apocalypse Now. <laughs> so that did huge, it. <laughs> yeah, huge scale, huge, you know, dark, dark story. But the impact of watching that, the sensory overload, the emotional just churning that, you know, oh, yeah, fell in love with that the medium at that
0: point. That's amazing. And so your idea of, you know, Uh, trying acting didn't work out, but uh, you on the director side, do you think any of your, the way you viewed directing, the way you viewed like a film production, does that translate to more of the process oriented uh, influence that you have today? Do you think that there's any crossover between those two things?
1: I think that they're directly related. I think that being able to visualize a future state and figure out how to get from where you are to that is very similar to what you go through in, in learning and, and directing, you know, a film of uh, a play, whatever. And you know, building from a bunch of people sitting around a table reading a script awkwardly, line by line, and maturing that and growing that into a dynamic performance. So I do see that there's you know, a thread of that that has been with me probably my whole life. And in business, how it represents and you know, presents itself is in getting a business running at its best and having the ability to kind of visualize what that end state is when nobody else understands it is, is a big part of what I love about what I do.
0: Do you, um, you mentioned that one of your early discoveries in the, in the, I think you mentioned the corporate world was majority of projects failed. Would you have an example or maybe a, a, a similar made up something, some form of an example of a project that you would, people anticipated starting as a success and then ended up as a failure and maybe something that happens time and time again that people don't recognize. Would you have an example of that? Oh,
1: Absolutely. Just about any system implementation is a fair example of this. Um, take, for example, a new payroll system. The goal and and this in the salespeople do great jobs, right? It can do everything for you. You you know, will no longer have to have as many people doing manual steps. Um, verifying, validating, processing checks, m- you know, making those things happen, which is absolutely true. The system, whatever it is, can do all of those things. In the sales cycle, what they glaze over a little bit is knowing how to make all of those things happen means you know what your process is. And to have that beautiful, you know, you know, awesome experience at the end when everything comes online means that everything before that system worked exactly the way it was supposed to. And oftentimes, what happens, right? So, a company will buy a new payroll system and they start the implementation of it. And there are, you know, what do you want it to do? How do you want it to do it? And there are, you know, dialogues that happen. But what they don't have is here is what we do and how we do it. Here are our processes and our procedures. And we need the system to do these things for us so that we can do more faster with less humans involved in, in the experience. And what they end up doing is changing their processes to fit how the system kind of is configured and what it does. And so it's kind of done and implemented backwards. And then when it goes live... The people who have been doing the work for years and years and years go, well, this isn't any better. And we had to change what we do. It's now harder. Um, we don't understand why we had to make this, you know, why we had to do this. Everything we were doing was okay. And this isn't magically so much easier, so much better. And so what in what happens, right, is And having a lack of understanding about people and what they do and how they do their job and then how to improve it with the technology leads for less than amazing results. So with my consulting company, we really tie into that equation, right? The people plus the process plus the technology is where you really drive results, and all of those pieces are important, and how you deal with them is equally important. Um, so we our framework is called Adaptive Transformation, and built it out of 20-plus years of working in large corporations and understanding that there are some really amazing global best practices, um, project management, process and performance management, internal controls and you know, key performance measurements, uh, organizational change management. These are functions that large corporations invest big money in by building big teams and having those teams help the business grow, change, and evolve over time. What's challenging about it is they become silos within the organization, just like HR is a silo separate from supply chain, separate from operations, separate from sales, separate from marketing. With adaptive transformation, we take those ideas, those capabilities, and we turn them on their side and bundle them together so that we can get that equation working. We work with teams across all functions to build out and think from a project perspective, to understand and, uh, their work, what their processes are, what works about them, and what doesn't so that they can find efficiencies. Once the machine of the process is tuned, then we look at their technology that exists or the need for new technology to figure out how to take it to that next level. And so what we do is really not a big secret. We're using the tools and the techniques that large corporations around the world are using. We use them differently and in companies that can't make the investment in the the teams to do it the other way.
0: So this is fascinating for me because um, my <clears throat> my core business is a video interviewing tool. So we help companies in the HR departments hire leveraging video interviewing a part of their hiring process. And so this is a company I started five years ago. And we basically got the product off the ground after year, you know, one and a half to two, and started selling it to companies. And one of the things that I learned the most was that we would, uh, we would, you know, get a buyer of our product, whether it was, you know, the, the, a step above the decision-maker actually using it or whatever it may be, we would sell the product and then nobody would really use it. And this was like an early on problem. Um, and, and it was something that I was wondering to myself is that everybody who we pitched to as on the vendor side of things, everybody we pitched to in the organization, loved the product, wanted to use it. When, when we did demos or test runs, everything went smoothly. And then what we learned was even further into this is that it needed to live in, and I'm sure you're familiar with uh, applicant tracking systems, it needed to live in an applicant tracking system in order for the company to have high success, it, it, just quite frankly, adoption. And it was always fascinating to me. And even to this day, you know, we we obviously have our, our, our business fortunately has grown quite a bit in the midst of COVID being a video interview provider. But it's yeah. always fascinating to me is that there are some organizations that pay for our service and just don't use it. And it's one of those things where it's like, there's obviously something broken in the system. And whether it's a matter of HR manager got budget approval and they, you know, are going to keep paying for it and they don't want to lose that budget. So that's why they just buy technologies. They may not, I I don't know what the answer to is, but it's something that we've sort of shifted is rather than necessarily just being software or technology, uh, Vendors were also consulting of where our solution lives in the you know the workflow, the process flow when the HR manager is thinking about using it. So all that to say, I totally can resonate on the flip side of things why that can be such a challenge. I mean, obviously, great success can come from it when it's done correctly, but a lot of times it's not.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, and you know, when, when what you're describing with your your clients, right, is the adoption. Right. This video interviewing tools, amazing, embedded into the applicant tracking system, seamless, outstanding stuff. But what it sounds to me like they have failed to do internally is share the what's in it for me from the employee base. Why is using this, leveraging it and making it part of your process as you go through hiring advantageous? What do you get out of it? And that's the organizational change management component, that that people adoption side. And really, and it requires time, energy, and effort to communicate and say, you know, organizationally, we are doing this because it is going to reduce the time to onboarding and it is going to keep, you know, everybody safe during COVID. We can continue to do interviews without having to physically, you know, share space. Beyond that, it is giving us an opportunity to, you know, have the ability to go back and, and look at an interview candidate after the interview and kind of listen to that person speak again and have a a deeper, richer understanding of, of who they are. And over time, what this gives us is the ability to, you know, conduct and hire more people more effectively, more quickly at a lower cost than having to say put you know people on a plane to travel in if they are geographically you know moving from a different location there are all sorts of benefits and things that are important and why this is a great solution but it sounds like that story isn't being told and that the employee base and it's not just the hiring managers right it's everybody who has to participate in the hiring process is not understanding the value
0: Yeah. Once it's, it's such a beautiful thing. We, it's, it's fascinating that we've learned that if on a, you know, an onboarding call or a demo, both the hiring manager and in some organizations, it would be both, but, but the hiring manager and the recruiter or talent acquisition, uh, specialist who's actually using the product. If they're both a part of the onboarding process, like night and day difference, everybody's happy, Huge like just immediate success. Whereas if the hiring manager at some point in time doesn't catch on to the value, then oftentimes the actual user of the product, be it the recruiter, town acquisition specialist, for whatever it may be, may not necessarily be, you know, driven to push or 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 drive this into adoption. So that's just a um It's just been a fun, fun dynamic to learn and how to have success with that. It's, it's been awesome. And one, one question I was going to ask you is a part of your sort of the three pieces to the equation for success, or as you said, awesomeness, do people, um, do you find that people get, uh, threatened by technology?
1: I think that people are threatened by a perception of diminished value proposition, so technology is probably the symptom of that and the thing where they the thing that they are afraid of or the thing that they are resistant to because it's something they can, you know, point their finger at. But really at, at the core human level, it's a you know a fear of being obsolete, of no longer having a place and and you know, no longer having a seat at the table. And that's what technology triggers in terms of of fear and resistance. And again, why taking the people through the journey and showing how the job you do today may look different in six months. But that change offers you the ability to do these three other things that you cannot do today because there's not enough time because we're doing things the way we do them today. So. Overcoming resistance to change is a huge uplift, but when you build it into your corporate culture, that change is always around us, right? It, it happens whether we want it to or not. We're living in you know post-pandemic times, which is a great example of we had no control over it, but we have to find our way through it. If we do good organizational change within a company and that becomes part of the culture, you remove that barrier um, and that that opportunity for resistance because people start to become excited about what's next and how they can contribute to it.
0: So let's take let's take COVID as like let's call it a tier one level of change. You know, absolutely extremes uh, changes. You know, quite frankly, will go down in history as as a you know, major, major moment. And let's take, you know, things like hurricanes or sudden deaths a part of, you know, executive levels, things like that, call that call those sort of tier one change. From your perspective, what would be the most like consistent level of change that an organization can't necessarily predict exactly what it may be, but they can predict that it's going to come regularly, as you mentioned, you know, six months from now, we know the world is not going to look the same. What would be sort of the, uh, the outputs that, whether drive that change or what might that change be?
1: So there are changes that occur um, in sales cycles, depending on what a business is doing. Those sales cycles may change on a quarterly basis, a seasonal basis. You know, retail has, you know, they're in history, right? They're historically their big, you know, season is building for, you know, the Christmas holiday. Um, in medical, world's getting ready for the flu season is a typical thing that you, you prepare for. And depending on where you are in the country, what that impact looks like. Um, as an example, in um, snowbird country, in places like Phoenix, our population increases dramatically during the winter months. And most of the people who come in for the season are elderly and have heightened medical needs. And so there are changes, right, that occur that can be predicted and understood. Um, New products and services coming to market uh, may happen on an annual basis. And that is, you know, change that needs to drive uh, operational behaviors as well. So there is change constantly, um, a product that goes to market and has a recall. It's an unexpected change that requires customer care, manufacturing, and, um, you know, sales support to be able to, um, respond to those situations. So, you know, the changes are everywhere and, If we have the ability to say, okay, something unexpected has happened, we need to put a plan in place. We need to identify resources who are going to support that plan and we need to take action and we need to, you know, recover from or respond to this unexpected change. That is, you know, a formula for success and being able to just keep moving,
0: is there like a aha moment for you when working with a, uh, a client or a client has an aha moment of the equation that you put together is, you know, uh, working like is, is there kind of the light bulb or it seems like my, I guess my, my guess would be and I have no basis for this, but my guess would be that it would be sort of a progress of building a machine that just consistently works. But is there sort of the aha moment as well?
1: There are, and I, I guess there are two aha moments that I'll point out. And, and evidently, if you're hearing my dog in the way background has his opinions
0: too. Oh, um, it's perfect. I've got a golden retriever and she's staring at me this whole time right now. So all good.
1: <laughs> he's, he's decided to chime in this morning. The first <laughs> aha moment my clients have often is, aha, uh-huh, this is going to be a lot of work. And there's a oh it, you know it's I you know it's an oh my god you know what is you know how are we going to accomplish this? And then like anything else, it's you know taking it into those consumable bites, right? You know every journey begins with the first step, and walking through and starting to put the structure in place, the foundation, and starting to show results early. And making that impact, and showing that you know, in repetition, right? This is this is agile. This is do one thing, then do the next thing, um, learn, and adjust to the things that worked, and you know, try to do more of the things that worked well, and find new ways of doing things that may not have worked as anticipated, and being willing to experiment and try and fail. And learn and do and 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 continue through that cycle so then that second aha the the one i think you were really looking for right is you know a few months down the line and the problems start to go away um you know things we talk about you know every every quarter we have you know, the, the, same sort of problem that presents itself. And we put smart people in the room and we make a decision and we do something different. And, you know, 90 days later, we're having the same conversation and rather than having this broken record player, you know, we've moved past that problem and we we've moved on to that next thing and each step of the way it get the experience is richer and deeper. And we touch more of the organization and the people holistically start to see the impact of I am doing more in my work week with less friction and less stress and things are working better. And that's kind of the big aha that says, okay, if we go about these things on purpose with a plan, we get to where we want to go and we get to do the next thing we're not stuck in this loop of over and over and over again, trying to do that one thing because we never got it right. And that's the cool part for me to see that, that shift. And, and it's a shift that you see and you walk around, well in days when we could walk around an environment, right. And look at the energy change, the engagement change, the, you know, people aren't working 80 hours a week because there's so much and it's so chaotic. There there's, it's organized. It's, there's a method to it and they're getting results. That's the best stuff ever.
0: I, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. You say that, uh, one of the aha moments we experience is when we pitch somebody, Hey, one, you know, one of the benefits of, uh, video interviewing is, obviously part of COVID world, but pre that, you, you know, this could be potentially a step that led up to an in-person meeting. And we know at times there are some in-person interviews that you know very, very quickly whether this is not going to be the right fit or not. And then you have to go through the hour interview. And the mm-hmm. aha moment that we experience is, yeah, they get past the headache of, of learning a new tool and the adoption and where it lives. But once they finally get a chance to watch a video and determine, wow, I definitely don't need to bring that candidate in. And then all of a sudden it clicks and it's like, oh, This is why the solution makes sense. And so that it's again, not, not to bring it back to that, but that's just, we've seen the other side of that experience and, and how amazing that can be. And I can only imagine how fruitful it can be because we're only one piece. You're helping bring together all three, uh, which I, I just find remarkable. So that's, that's fascinating.
1: It is. And right. The aha moments are the ones that that's what matters, you know, i get it right i'm running a business and you know i, I want client work i want it, the engagements it puts the roof over my head and the food in my tummy and all of those things but the really what really matters more is watching a client environment mature to the next level because that impacts it's not just about me or my team that's tens of people, hundreds of people, you know, thousands of people potentially that have a better quality experience going to work every day.
0: That's awesome. I like that a lot. That's, 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 that's good stuff right there. I like that. I like that. So what's, uh, what's ultimately sort of the, the, the the big, if you could accomplish a, a goal in all of this, what would be sort of the, the, the biggest, you know, craziest out there goal that you could help companies with or personally or whatever that may be? What's sort of the big goal that you're trying to accomplish?
1: Ooh, when you make it that big and open-ended of a question, let, you know, I'll give you a big, big answer. I would love to see the day in America where our approach to work was that it was actually less important That it wasn't about 80 hour weeks and that's, you know, proving our value through the effort and the lift of doing work. But because we do work effectively, we have much richer lives and that we can take a business owner can take a two week vacation, a 30 day vacation, walk away from the business and know that the machine of the business is going to continue and continue effectively. Um, that's, that's the, the cool stuff, right? When everything is tuned and working well, and we can really shift our energy onto the quality of our life and not just grinding through work.
0: I love that. So at the end of the day, what is it that gets you out of bed in the morning?
1: The thing that gets me out of bed in the morning is figuring out how I can get to be on a beach every day for the rest of my life. <laughs> if I help enough people get you know, get, get what they want, someday maybe I'll get what I want.
0: I, I like that a lot. So for people that want to reach out to you uh, for the first step of how they can build their career to work from the beach all the time, what's the best way for them to, uh, to reach out to you, connect to you, follow you? Uh, where, where do you want me to point them?
1: So, uh, Lisa L. Levy on LinkedIn and the company is lcubedconsulting.com. That's a big mouthful. So you can also find it at Lisa L. Levy.com. I'm pretty, pretty easy to find.
0: Love that. That's amazing. Well, anything else you want to leave the audience with?
1: you know, I I hope everybody has a a great day. I hope they enjoyed listening to my hound dog in the background. And,
0: um,
1: you know, let's all find a way to work smarter.
0: I like that a lot. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me.